0: Let's pray and we'll dive into the word. Father, we thank you that you are good. And Lord, we just, uh, just thank you that your word says that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. And so, Father, today we come to your table, God, hungry, God, hungry for what you desire. God, we hunger for truth. And Father, we thank you that your word says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and that he would guide us into all truth. So, Holy Spirit, we just invite you today. You are the teacher you are the guide, and we pray that you would just teach and guide us today. And uh, only you know uh, literally every, every uh, ounce of our hearts. And so, Father, we just invite you to come and to do what you desire to do in us today. In Jesus' name, we thank you for life change. Amen. 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 Well, over the past few weeks, uh, we've been talking about uh, a culture of community. And last week in particular, we talked about the benefits of community. And, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of new people here, or uh, maybe you didn't have the opportunity to be here last week. But we said some of those benefits for this, that as, as we do life together, as we do community together, uh, that wisdom comes through community. We also said that safety comes through community. We said that strength comes through community. Obviously, when we join, obviously, we are uh, more of a force uh, for the kingdom of heaven. Amen? And uh, we said that love and good works is a benefit of community. We said that ministry is birthed out of community. We also said that anointing is cultivated in ministry. God's presence is in community. And then we said accountability uh, happens in community. And then we also said growth. I know that's a lot. That growth happens in community. But the, the overarching theme there in every one of those areas is simply this. That as we do life together, as we, as we come together more as a community, at the end of the day, uh, we should be challenged to be more like Jesus. Amen? Isn't that the goal? So today, um, you know, basically the point I want to make to you as we dive in is we kind of, obviously we're staying in a kind of a culture talking about our culture that we desire to see here, the culture series. but We're going to dive into a different area today. And it's simply this, the point that I want to make, that you and I can get really excited about all those benefits that come with community. And, you know, what? we should get excited, right? It it should be we should get excited about when God uh, has the ability to do things in our life. But truthfully, if you and I are going to partake in every one of those benefits, then there's another step that we're going to have to take as a church, but not only as a church, we're going to have to take as individuals, because remember that we as individuals make up the whole. And before it can happen in the whole, it's got to happen in us individually. Is that right? So uh, if you and I are going to take that next step, if we're going to really be able to partake and enjoy all those things, uh, the next step is this, is we must commit to a culture of discipleship. Can somebody say discipleship? It's no different than what, than basically where Jake and these guys are at, but they're saying, you know what, we, we've seen a culture of where we're seeing people get saved, but we know the culture needs to grow and we need to become more, uh, more discipleship oriented. So, uh, for the next couple of weeks, I really just want to focus on, uh, the heart get that, the heart and there'll be some things that we'll teach on, but I really want to focus on the heart of a culture of discipleship. And and you know, I kinda of go ahead and give you a heads up. I'm probably not going to start this the way that most of you would think. Uh I, I you know you know, obviously, you know, in my mind, I'm running in about 15 different directions that we could go. But, but I just said, you know what, maybe the best way to do that is just kind of share uh, my own journey with you guys that got me to the point of where I'm at today is, as far as understanding discipleship. So that's what I'm going to do, okay? So, uh, you know, most of you guys have heard I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home uh, when I got saved as a senior in high school, uh, you know, I dove headfirst into the church structure. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The church structure. So, uh, you know, I'm meaning this, that I went, I went faithfully to youth group every Wednesday night. I went to Sunday school on Sunday mornings. Uh, obviously, I went to the main sanctuary where the senior pastor was preaching and, and sat there and I listened to him preach. Then I came back that night uh, to hear the Sunday night message. I didn't stay home watch football. Uh, thank God for change. So, uh, anyway, so. So so we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then uh you know, I was committed, I was faithful, I went to the, the youth winter retreat, I went to the, the uh stateside mission trip that we went on, and uh you know, and I even I even went so far being committed to the church structure that after school I would drive to the church I'd go to the church and uh and I would hang out with the youth pastor. I did all of that because I just thought that's what Christians were supposed to do. Anybody ever been there? So you know, after I graduated high school, uh, I felt called. Uh, li- literally, the moment that I gave my life to Jesus, I felt called to ministry. I didn't have a clue what that looked like, but I knew that I was called to ministry. So uh, when I graduated high school in 1996, uh, if I'm getting old, is, um, you know, I felt, okay, I- I'm supposed to go to this uh, ministry uh, discipleship training program. And so when I went there... Um, you know, basically, once again, I went with this church structure mindset, but after I was there for a few weeks, I began to realize a few things about my Christian walk. Now, to kind of give you uh, an example of, of why I began to realize things, so, so I went from basically being a 17-year-old kid to understanding church and just kind of going to church. Listening, but pretty much as I said, it's the only time I ever prayed was when I was at church. The only time I ever worshipped is when I was at church. The only time I ever did anything really Christian other than just trying not to cuss and trying not to do something stupid, I was at church. Are are you all following me? So, uh, but like I said, I did not grow up in a Christian home, so all that world uh, was completely new to me. It wasn't like I was born in the pews and, and you know, just had to kind of work out my stuff. I, I literally was snatched out of the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of light, and I had no clue what was going on. Anybody ever been there? So. So I show up at this ministry training uh, program, and we start off with an orientation. We go to this retreat center for a weekend, and I remember uh, Pastor Mark Sims got up and he said, "Okay, here's the schedule that we are going to run." I mean, I literally did not have a clue what I was getting into, and, and he said, "Okay, we're going to start off every day from 7:30 to 8:30 in prayer." I was like, "What am I going to do for an hour?" <laughs> you know, I was like, "This dude wants me to pray for an hour. What is he talking? What am I going to say?" And so and then he goes, OK, and then you began to go down the schedule. So literally, we started every day with an hour of prayer. And then on top of that, they're like, OK, uh, you know, you're actually going to have to memorize some scriptures in the Bible every week. OK, I think I can do that. And then said, okay, we're going to go to, we're going to go to Bible classes, uh, where basically the pastors and the leadership team would, would teach. Uh, obviously we, we entered into a complete different world of worship and I'm not knocking anything of the past, but, but going from hymns to some kind of contemporary form of worship was a big adjustment for me where people were lifting their hands, people were praying in tongues. All that was such a different world for me. And so when I got there, um, basically, um, I begin to see, let me say this, I begin to see Christians, I begin to see a different breed of Christians. Is that okay to say it that way? Yes? And a lot of times when you get around those people, obviously you begin to do what? You begin to look at yourself. And and then I I actually brought a book this morning because they gave us this Bible course. It was the first one I ever took, good old classic book called The Life of Christ. And as I was reading this book, as I was spending time in prayers, I was memorizing my scriptures and, and going to all those classes. I began to realize a few things. And the first thing was this, as I realized that I possessed Christ as my savior, but he did not possess me. Anybody get that what I'm saying? Basically meaning this, that I knew at that moment that Christ had given me his all. But I realized that I hadn't given him my all. I literally began to begin to realize that I was still holding on to many things. It was mainly this. It was my way of doing things. I began to maybe say it this way. I began to realize that Quentin Self was still in charge of Quentin Self's life. Anybody ever been there? The second thing I began to realize was this, is that I mentally knew what it meant to be a Christian. In other words, I knew what it meant to be a good churchgoer. I knew what it meant to operate within the church structure. You know what I'm talking about, right? How you doing today? Well, I'm blessed. You know, 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 to stand up at the right part, bow your head at the right part. You, You know how to do all these things. And so what I realized is that I knew how to do all of that, but I didn't have a clue what it was to be a disciple of Christ. So the more I prayed, the more I worshipped, the more I read the Bible, the more I sat in all those classes, it became very clear to me that I had a serious decision to make. And I think many of you have been there before in your life. I think some of you are still needing to make this decision. But here's the decision I had to make. I had to decide if I was going to mean business with God or if I was just there to go through the motions. Amen? I had to decide if I was going to uh, just do this church thing or if I was in this church thing just for a warm, fuzzy feeling. Because I came from a chaotic home, so was it just so good to be in a place where there was some peace? You know, I had to make a decision if I was just looking uh, for a clear conscience. That uh, you know, And I had to decide, and I think that's where a lot of us are at. We come into the kingdom and we say, you know what, I came into the kingdom. I became a Christian because I really didn't want to go to hell. And I had to find out if that was my motivation for staying. Y'all follow me, because it shouldn't be your motivation for staying. I had to decide if I was really going to love him, if I was really going to fear him. I had to decide if I was really going to be serious about this thing called holiness or if Christianity was just going to be a short fad, uh, you know, for a season of my life. Basically, it's this. I had to decide if I was going to be a real disciple or if I was just going to be a surface level, mediocre Christian for the rest of my life. Has anybody ever been there? So it was during this time that I started coming face to face with some not so uh, popular scriptures. And I want to share one with you really quick. It's uh, Luke chapter nine, verse twenty three. Luke chapter nine, verse twenty three. Jesus said this. He said, if anyone would come after me. If anyone would come out, I remember reading this, if anyone would come, if anyone would follow me. And I was sitting there thinking, well, okay, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm attempting to do. And it says this, okay, if you're going to do that, it says that he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That one word there, there's a lot of words there that mess with me, but that word daily was something different. Because I thought I just had to go make a decision one time. Yes, if I just go to the altar, if I just ask Jesus in my heart, if I get that burden lifted and I can feel the peace come, then I'm good. But here I am, I'm reading this, and it says that he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The last part, follow me, just simply means to be my disciple. But let's look at this really quick. The word deny there in the Greek language means this. It means to forget oneself. It means to lose sight of oneself and one's own interest. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun, does it? Come on, talk to me, folks. He says he must deny himself. He must forget himself. He must lose sight of himself. He must uh, forget, basically, his own interests. And then he must take up his cross. L- listen, th- that was not a popular thing to say in that time. Yes? But basically, it's this. Here's what he's telling us today. That you and I must take a posture of death. That's it. Because the bottom line, any time we all heard sermons about it, so I won't belay the point. But, but simply this: that the cross, obviously, that was your death certificate. You knew if you were going there, it was over. You died. So, you, you know, anybody with me? Yes? So it says basically that if I'm going to follow Him, then I got to deny myself not once, but I got to do it daily, and I got to take the posture of death for a lifetime. And so I started to see basically this: that if I was going to become who God wanted me to be, then I had to do more than just say, "Jesus, I love you." Are y'all following me? I had to quit going through the motions and just being, once again, so surface level about all this, that if I was going to become who He wanted me to be, then I had to die to my fleshly desires. And God knows at 17 years old, you got a lot of them. Amen. Somebody remembered what it was like when they were 17 right there. But you have to die. Let me say this, at 37 years old, I still know what it means to have fleshly desires, right? Amen. I I love... love, uh, The old saying. Some people say, "You know, we're saved. We're not dead. You know, you're still fighting things." But listen, if I if I was going to do this, I had to die to my fleshly desires. I had to lose sight of my ambitions, my agendas, my interests, and I had to start focusing focusing on His. So, you know, here's the crazy part. Almost 20 years later, okay, almost 20 years later, it's crazy because that stuff is still happening in me. It's still happening. You you know, there's never been a point in my Christian walk where I could literally stop and went, you know what? I think we're, I think we're good. I think we've arrived. There's always been something that he's like going, hey, you put that on the altar. You need put that on the altar. You know, so, so look, you know, we, we were talking past few weeks about being honest, right? So in other words, if I, if I expect you to be honest, I got to be honest. So, so here's where your pastor's at now, right? Seven weeks into this thing. Okay, Is this, is that I, I am finding that in my life right now that if I'm going to be a, a, a great husband, not a good one, then a lot of things got to die. If I'm going to be a great dad, then there's a lot of flesh, a lot of agendas, a lot of my own self-interest. It's really got to die. You know, part of this, I've said this, but part of why I knew that our move from North Carolina to here, I knew was about our family. You know, and, and I, got, I got this text. Anybody ever got a friend that texts you and just ticks you off? So I, had, so I had a friend send me that scripture that we read uh, the other day out of Ezekiel, that two are better than one. It's all the value of a friend. And then he puts on the end, okay, because I'm all focused, church, 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 church. And he sends a text, hey, I would just uh, strongly encourage you to begin to ask God, uh, what's the real reason he brought you there? I'm like, you idiot, the real reason is that I'm supposed to do a church. I'm supposed to lead a church. But, you know, that's what your flesh wants to say. Is it just me? Okay, maybe I'm too honest with you guys. You guys are in church, I forgot. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so I came, so I came in here, right? I came in here, I was right here praying. All, obviously all you guys aren't here because I work here, right? So I'm praying and I, and I'm literally looking at that text that old boy sent me and I'm just not happy. And I said, I said, okay, God, Drew said this. So I said, uh, so Lord, why do you really have me here? Lord, I'm open. Lord, what do you really want to do in me? What do you really want to change? Because God, uh, literally God, every area, Lord, do what you want to do. You know, so here I am thinking, okay, family. But then we come in here and we get in a meeting the other day with the leadership. Just too honest. We get in, here, we get in the meeting with the leadership and, and it gets intense, right? And, and uh, not like in a bad way. Just if you're going to go deeper, then you've got to be willing to cross some of those things. So, so I, I walked away from that, rela- uh, from that conversation the next day, and I was just mulling it over, and I actually ended up at, at Pastor Brian's house, and uh, he's doing what Pastor Brian does. He's on this big front, front end loader, right, doing this thing. He's sitting way up there like he's in his kingdom. And, and I'm looking at him, right, and me and Lee are on the ground, and I just started talking about this. Man, I'm finding out that the way that, that I know to do ministry, man, I'm, I'm dying, I'm dying. You know, because when you come from the the church that we came from, you know, and you've been in that world for so long, that's the way you know to do things. And then when you step into a place of a complete different culture, not, not bad, not good, just different. When you step into a different culture, you go, you know what, I can't do it the way I've always done it. So so things that I know and things that I'm personally confident in, you know, all those things, all those crutches, if you will, are getting kicked out from under me, and I'm dying. Right? But, you know, here's the wild part, is that every bit of that's necessary. If I'm going to become who God wants me to be, if I'm going to be the pastor that I need to be, if I need to be the husband, whatever, and you can go with you guys, business owners, however, you know, whatever you do, it is necessary that we understand that we got to take up our cross and die daily. That we've got to deny ourselves. Because if, if I can say this to you and you understand, um, you guys that are parents, okay, can you understand that the decisions, are looking here, that the decisions that you make literally are, will affect generations? So, you know, sometimes we get so in our little bubble and we get so concerned about us that we don't have a big picture, the big perspective. And, uh, and so we just think, well, it's us. But the bottom line is, is, is the, the death that needs to happen in me is not just for me. It's for all of those people too. Right? It's, it's, like, it's like, you know, obviously people here have marketplace ministries and uh, some people have ministries. The so bottom line, if you can get in your mind, get in your heart that for you to go where God wants you to go, where God wants that ministry to go, then you are going to have to die. There's going to be a time, watch this, that you're going to have to do what we see in, in Genesis. It actually, it's the first place we ever see worship mentioned in the Bible is what? Is when Abraham's there and he says, Take your one and only son, right, and go up that mountain and, and kill him. Right? We've all read it, right? So here's the wild part. You know, when I, when I was a new Christian, I always thought that, you know, because it's the little pictures that you see, that it's this little boy in Abraham, the old man, old grandpa. You know, he's carrying him. But when you read the Bible, it says that Abraham said to his servant, stay here, me and the boy go worship. And it says that, that Isaac carried the wood up the mountain. Are you following me? So he was a, he was a grown man. He carried the wood up the mountain. And then here, here's the part that blows my mind. Is how many of you guys know that here's Abraham riding around 100 years old? And he's got whatever young buck as a son. If they got in a tussle, who would win? A young, but, but, but there's that point where, where Isaac clearly trusted his father. And, and, and I think he said, in essence, tie me tight, Daddy, because I don't want to squirm off this altar. Tie me tight. Because he was willing to submit and surrender himself to a position to go, you know, I trust God even if he wants to kill me. There was trust going on in both ways there. So for you and I, once again, to, to uh, accomplish what God wants us to accomplish... Guess what? We're going to have to say, tie me tight, Daddy, because my flesh is going to want to squirm off that altar. Are you all hearing me today? And understand that the Father knows best. And, and there is a plan. There, There is, you know, bottom line, there's uh, there's he does have, a, he's intentional. And he's doing it, doing it for a reason. I just got to be open to it. And, and the longer I fight, guess what? It's just, watch this. There's people who have fought for 20 years and they still come back to the same place. Get it over with you know it 's much better, amen yes you know it 's one of those things that you look back in life maybe i 'm just talking about myself today, but but it 's just one of those things in life that you that you go, you know what, I never want to relive that, but man, I sure wouldn 't trade it because of who I am today, that death helped me get to where i 'm at, and so today, as we 're talking about this um, once again, the, the heart of discipleship, you've got to understand that, that death is a major part of that. And, and unfortunately, uh, you, know, and I, you know, I try to be concerned about what's going on in our church, but, but when you look at the uh, part of the reason we're in the mess we're in around, around this nation, is because churches don't talk about that. Right? It's always about how you can get benefited. But the bottom line, if we're really going to do this and we're going to do it right then death has to take place. Death has to come what? With our ambitions, our agendas, our interests, our fleshly desires. So, if you can understand this point, that the proof of discipleship is found in a continued transformed life. Hear that. That the proof, the proof, you know the old saying, proof's in the pudding. The proof of discipleship is found in a continued transformed life. Not just one time. Continually being transformed into what? To the image of the Son. Amen? So, we are moving what? Daily. This at least what we should be. That we're moving daily in a God-led direction. It's a Jesus-centered, not self-centered life. Now, I'm sure most of you are like me. You have your moments of both. Yes? But hopefully in the transformed life that, that the self-centered moments are becoming less and less and farther and farther in between. And the rest of the time we're being God-centered. So... All of that together is simply what Jesus meant when He said to deny yourself and take up your cross. So, let me uh, let me go this route here real quick. When when you begin to read scriptures like that one in Luke chapter nine, and you just don't read it but you let it read you, there's a big difference. But when you let the Bible read you and you begin to do it from an open and an honest, you open your heart up wide and say, "Okay, Father, whatever you want to say. I think when you do that, you're going to understand that something in Christianity and discipleship, that there's something that's going to be required of you if you're going to do it God's way. Amen. So, you know, it's at that moment when you when you come face to face with the requirement, uh, you know, I have witnessed for too many years that crossroad. OK, and when people come to that crossroad, my way, his way, that at that crossroad right there, uh, literally most people make excuses and not a commitment. Are you hearing me? We've all done it. You know, it may not be this. You know, I just whatever threw a few down. It, we, you all know your excuses that you've made. Um, you, you know, you know, if i am be honest, here's here's me, because I know that that there's a, a, not an amount, but a quality uh, of time, if you will, that I want to have with him. And my excuse for years has been, well, I just don't have time. i got four kids. I'm married. I got to, I do all this uh, working stuff. i got to, you know, blah, blah, working 56 hours a week. We're doing da-da-da-da-da. Excuse. Not commitment. <laughs> because the bottom line, a real commitment finds a way. Yes? Yeah. So people say stuff like, you know what? Um, you know, God knows that we're incapable of doing all that he wants us to do. That's why there's grace and mercy. I, you, you know, people say that basically when they, when they like their sin. Let's just shoot straight this morning. When they like their sin and they don't want to change. Right? The bottom line, they don't see it like He sees it. They, 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 you know, we all got it, but we forget that that's what nailed Him to the cross. You know, you know, we come up with excuses like this. Well, you know, God knows my heart. He knows that I love Him. Besides, He knows everybody's not perfect. It's an excuse. Then there's, mainly this is with the younger generation but I'm sure it's with older people, too. They, they talk about God having too many stupid rules. Man, he just doesn't want me to enjoy life. I, I think it's really funny that people, they tend to blame God for their lack of commitment. It's on Him. It's not on me. No, it's on you. It's on me. We don't need to blame God for our lack of commitment. And let me, let me, the word that really kept resounding with, in my heart when I was doing this is just simply the word compromise. That we compromise. And, you know, some of it may not be some, you, you know, let me, let me go this way. Um, you know, like, okay, so obviously like me, okay, use me for example. Obviously, I really liked to do drugs before I got saved. Okay? And so then I come over here and I go, well, you know what, I don't even struggle with that anymore. It's not even a thought, not even temptation. I'm good. And we forget because we somehow categorize these things that a lack of prayer is somehow not as bad as that. The bottom line is because of who I am today, that is greater than that. Because the bottom line is because I'm not ignorant anymore. I was ignorant and blinded by darkness there. I'm not here. I have the Spirit of God living inside of me. You know, there's an old quote by a guy named Samuel Chadwick that's like taking a sword and just ran it through me for years. Here's the quote. It's by an old, old pastor, Samuel Chadwick. Okay, He said, brethren, the crying sin, the big sin, the major sin, the crying sin of the church is her laziness after God. It's her laziness after God. Because why? Because we get what? We get comfortable. Right? We, we go, well, we're saved. Glory to God. But he, what is he doing now? Am I talking to about today? See, I had to learn that if i was going to commit my life to being a disciple of christ and i was going to have to do it his way and not my way and not the church structures way i got to be honest with you listen i'm a pastor i don't even like church i like jesus so you know i am personally i am personally not interested in coming to a place where he is not i didn't grow up in this thing i don't like this thing in the sense obviously i believe you understand, I, mean, I believe in the church. I know that I know what God did. I know he established it, but but he just didn't do it for just so we could get together and hang out. You know, and, and let me say he didn't get it. He didn't make it so we could talk about him. He made it so we could experience him. Right. So. So I'm really not, you know, once again, coming from that realm, I, I see the I see how detrimental the church structure, if that's all, you know, let me even say this because it keeps coming up in my heart. We can really easily get volunteer in the church and do things in the church and basically let that replace what he really died for. That's relationship. Your serving never, ever, ever supersedes relationship. Don't lose focus on that. Okay? And granted, listen, I'll be the first to tell you, I have read my Bible so I can get a sermon. instead said just reading it to be fed. Right? Too Am I being too honest with you guys? Hey. All right. You're welcome. I don't like fake people. All right, here we go. So, <laughs> all right, so uh, let's talk about real quick the requirements and the expectations for being a disciple. Uh, this is going to be kind of lengthy, but it's in Luke 14. If you have your Bible, that'd be really great if you would turn to me. Turn with me there. Please bring your Bibles to church. And if I can ask you an, another thing, please take notes in church, okay? I'm not trying to put anybody under the law, but that will help you keep things in you and not just here. We, we remember, what, like 7% of what we hear? It, that, I think when you, when you take notes, it actually goes up to like 30%. So it's for your own benefit, okay? It's not to make me feel like I'm doing a better job, I promise you that. All right, y'all there? Luke 14, we're going to read verses 25 through 33. What I say? Good job. Look at that team go. Look at that teamwork. There you go. You know, we say in my house, teamwork makes the dream work. There you go. All right. There you go. Luke 14, verse 25, it says, Now great multitudes went with him. It says, And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciples. I remember as a young believer reading that going, Jesus, have you lost your mind? You know, because the part that I struggled with is, man, what's the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother? And here's Jesus saying, hate them. But you know, if you know, that's why a lot of times we got to. It's called study, show yourself, approve. We got to figure out what the word actually means. The word hate there actually means this. It means to love less. It means to love less. That he's saying literally. It says. If anyone comes to me and does not love less his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So here's Jesus telling the multitude uh, that wants to basically be his disciples that if they are going to follow him, then they have to love him above all others and especially more than they love themselves. Amen. That's the, that's really where the rubber meets the road, gang. Do we love him more than we love us or do we love ourselves more than him? That's the great conflict. That's it. Do we love, do we love our way? Do we love ourselves or do we love him? In verse 27 it says this, and whoever does not bear his cross, there's that crossing again. He likes talking about that. And whoever does not bear his cross once again, the posture of death and come after me, he says what, cannot be my disciple. That's pretty straight, isn't it? You, you know, li- listen, I, you know, there's a part where Jesus, I get it, he, He's love and He's mercy and He's grace. But you've got to look at the full counsel of God. He's also holy, right? And, uh, you know, I, I think it's funny. I was just thinking about this weekend, about how many times where people weren't willing to do it God's way, and, and He didn't chase them. You with me? He, he, he didn't, you know, it, it's, so, it's such a crazy thing because He's willing to meet us where we're at and help us. But yet at the same time, He doesn't chase us. It's such, a, it's such a paradox in a way. Is anybody, anybody following me there? All right. Here we go. The last part, cannot be my disciple. So once again, here he is saying that if they're going to follow him, that their self-centeredness has to die. And he's basically saying this, that they've got to decrease so he can increase. Go to verse 28. We'll pick up the pace here a little bit. Verse 28 says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost? That's the key part here. Most of us here aren't going to build a tower. If you are, let's talk after church, please. All right? So, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Least, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. Bottom line is, they don't mock you. They mock the kingdom. They mock him. It's a great place to say amen. Verse 30 says, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first to consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation as conditions of peace. So Jesus is simply saying in this, what I already said, count the cost. He isn't looking, once again, for something to be a fad. He isn't looking for something to be a hasty decision or emotional response. Jesus is simply saying this. Everybody look in here. That if you're going to follow him, you better know that it's going to cost you something. There's going to be a price that's going to be paid. And what's that price? This flesh has to die. Am I boring y'all today? So then it goes in verse 33. Last part. and We'll land this thing. It says, "So likewise, whoever you does not forsake all, get that, forsake all, all. You know what that means in the Greek? All. Man, he didn't even give us a way out of that thing. Look at that. So likewise, whoever you does not forsake all that he has cannot cannot be my disciples. You, you know, there's a guy that I've admired for years. His name's Keith Green." And uh, Keith Green was an amazing man of God. But, but he said this one time. He, says, he said, you know, God doesn't ask for much, just everything. That's so true. So, you know, bottom line, guys, is, is this. And, you know, maybe this is the wrong game to say this to. But, you know, Jesus, when you look at the Scripture, he wasn't looking for a fan club. He wasn't looking for it. He wasn't looking for a bunch of groupies. Watch this, because, we, you know, we believe certain things. He wasn't looking for sign seekers either. He wasn't looking for those who attend church. He wasn't looking for those people to sing a song. He wasn't looking for those people to even read a book. He was looking for disciples. Let me maybe say it this way. He was looking for people who were willing to be sold out and committed to him. Because that's really what we're talking about. It is this. You know, you know, obviously we're going to talk about, um, you know, and every week won't be as heavy as this. But, you know, we're talking about a, a culture of discipleship. But at the end of the day, unless you have commitment, you can't be a disciple. It's really, that's really what he was saying in every bit of that. So, here's the thing I want to maybe ask you this morning. Is God really first place in our lives? Honestly, it doesn't matter how old we are. Is God really first place in our lives? Or is he playing second fiddle to something or someone? Is God sitting on the throne of your heart? Or do you still have him nailed to a tree? Because if you still have him nailed to a tree, then you're just thankful for forgiveness. But if you've got him sitting on the throne of your heart, then he's king. And listen, the Bible says he is king. Right? You know, there's an old quote that says this. And man, this is so true. Everybody please hear this. That it says this, that religion is hanging around the cross. Christianity is getting on it. A religion, and listen, I I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a person that just hangs around it and just looks at what he did. I I want to take my place on that cross. Right? You you know, I told you guys I went to, um, you know, that school of ministry. The first week we were there, they only gave us two scriptures to memorize. You know, over the course of the year, I think they gave us like 400. Okay. And to show you the heat that was on us, at the end of all the, that nine months, we had to be able to quote every one of those scriptures. Talking about some pressure. Just so they gave you the first three words. They did. They gave us the first three words. But you had to know the reference and you had to know the rest. And when you got got five verses you got to quote, those three words don't help you a whole lot. All right? So, But the the first week I was there... It was this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any of the ones in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The second one was the one I want to talk about here. It's Galatians two twenty it says, I have been crucified with Christ that I no longer live. You get that? That I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, the one who loved me, loved me and gave himself for me. It's probably a little different. I memorized it in a different translation. But it's, look, 20 years, almost 20 years later, it's still there. You know why it's there? Because I have prayed it and prayed it and prayed it and prayed it. God, help me take my place. Because He ain't on that cross anymore. That's why it makes me so angry when people walk around. I shouldn't say angry, but, but I don't like it. When people walk around, they got a necklace or something, and it's Jesus hanging on the cross. He's not there anymore. You, you know, I went to Mexico one time, and they're walking down the street with these you know, big foot and a half crosses, and Jesus is on it. Folks, He ain't there. Right? That's right. So, watch this, though. Ah, um, oh, I've got to hurry. So, all right, let me, just, let me just hurry up here. Is this, is, once again, understand that Scripture today, that you have been crucified with Christ. Bottom line, the life you now live is for His glory, not yours. So, watch this. So, I remember, once again, coming, trying to bring all this together that being at 18 years old and reading all these scriptures and going, okay, I see, where, I see where I'm at. And then I'm seeing where those disciples were at that I read in the Bible. And it was not matching up at all. And I, so I began to ask, okay, how, how am I supposed to get there? What's the route? And I began to look at the way Jesus did things. But, so here I was. Watch this. Um, even though I was realizing where I was at, I was still willing, On God, I want a committed heart. Because that's really the key. God, I, I, I really want it. I'm not here to play games. I really want you. I don't want what, you know, I don't want what those guys got. I don't want what those guys got. I want what, I want to, I want what you have for me. Right? I want what you have. So, God, I'm willing to commit. And it's, it's so awesome when you get to that point, uh, if you're there, it doesn't matter how jacked up and messed up you are. Because God will come and help you. That's the good news about every bit of this. That's what he's looking for. Not, not for perfection, not for some church structure perfection. That he's just looking for someone that just wants, uh, wants him, wants to love him, wants to be committed. And when he does that, uh, guess what? His power is made uh, perfect in our weakness, right? He takes over. Listen to this verse, what he's willing to do for those who are committed in heart. In Second Chronicles sixteen nine, it says this. It says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. Get that. So the Lord is looking, right? He's looking. uh, It says, throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That is an awesome verse. Because I don't know about you, but there's been plenty of times that there was something in my life. Now, I didn't know how to get victory, but he did because he already paid it. But I had to bring it to Him. Amen? And when I brought it to Him, guess what? He helped me. He strengthened me on the journey. Um, Are y'all hearing me today? Yes, Yes, He helps us. So let let me give you this one last thing, because I'm really going much longer what I wanted to. There's a guy named Henry Varley. He said this one time. A lot of people think Dale Moody said this, and it was another guy. He said this. It says, it remains to be seen what God will do with the man who gives himself up wholly to him. See the way to that? It remains to be seen what God will do with a man who gives himself up wholly to him. It was the old Moody that said, I want to be that man. So today for, for us, listen, um, what would your life, here's the challenge, what would your life look like if you said, um, let me say, how, what would your life look like if you actually gave it holy to God? What would it look like? Now, watch this. Please, for a minute, forget about all the ministry opportunities. Think about you. Think about think about how think about your wife. Think about your husband. Think about your kids. Think about those people that call you a friend. Are y'all following me? They, they would get such a better version of you because they would get Jesus, not you. That's really what he's after today. You, you know, there's a there's a scripture in Revelations. Revelation, that's so great. In Revelation 2, it says this. It talks about returning to your first love. Now, I know that there's some people that have been in church for a long time. You've been in church longer than I've been alive. Okay? But that returning to the first love, that's a continual thing. It's so easy to get caught up in other stuff, isn't it? Yes? Yes, it is. Can we stand to our feet really quick, please? The reason I'm telling you that is... You know, all in all, Kim, if you can come help me out, to would be great. If we can, let's just close our eyes. The reason I tell you that verse there, obviously several of them, but, but the one there in Revelation, is because I think in some, in some ways that's what today is about. It's about remembering who He is, remembering what He's done for you, and returning to your first love. Some of us have gotten so busy in this life that we, we, we literally have so compartmentalized him that, he, that, that we've almost forced him out of the number one spot. But he wants to know if he's number one. All eyes closed. i just going to ask today if you, if you will be honest with yourself and honest before him and really figure out, man, am I, am I denying myself? Am I taking up my cross daily? Am I following Him? You know, give the Lord permission to show you your priorities. Give Him permission to show you where He's really at. And I know we don't like to talk about it in church, but give Him permission to show you the sin. Remember what we talked about. He's going to bring you to that crossroad. Please, today, for your own sake, don't make excuses. Be willing to make a commitment. Oh, we're just waiting on Him. We're making room for Him today. hearts. Oh God will give you access. Oh we know nothing's hidden in your presence. Listen I want to do something that I know that we may not be used to. I'm not sure. Remember I'm the new guy around here. We were talking about Abraham earlier, about him bringing Isaac to the altar. I, I honestly believe that God is speaking to quite a bit of you guys today. Can, can, we, can we actually meet him at a place called the altar? And the reason I want to do that is because the altar is simply a place of death. And that you can bring the thing that's in your own heart to him today. And you can lay it before the altar. Even it's yourself and say, tie me tight, Daddy. Bring death to this thing. Can we have courage enough today that if the Lord is ministering to us and we'll be willing to come meet Him where He's at? Well, it's just you and Him. Listen, nobody's going to come pray for you. Bottom line, it's just you and Him. All around this room, just you can make it wherever you can find space. Just make it your altar. Listen, I'm telling you, this is a really safe place. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to make fun of you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Ghost. I know this is a touchy subject, but i got to obey. He wants to be Lord over your money as well. Please let him do so. Father, we thank you, God, that as we do that, just as we've seen today, as we've came and we've laid things down, we've asked you to bring death to things, Lord, that you're so faithful. God, to give us strength. God, and to give us encouragement and life and peace to follow and walk after you. So, Father, every uh, person that came to the altar today and the people who uh, made their own seat and altar before you, Lord, thank you for hearing their heart. Thank you for hearing their prayer. Father, I just ask today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would just seal that. That, Father, that there would be, literally even tomorrow, God, that they would see that there's uh, a change that occurred, uh, Lord, in the way they think, in the way they act, in the way they speak. God, in their decision-making process, Father, we pray that they would.